Hello, and welcome to Heart Points, a one-to-one RPG actual play podcast. I am your husband and GM, Zach. And I'm your wife and player, Diana. And this is the Breakout Con 2019 Heart Points Retrospective. Yay! How are you doing, my darling? I am doing fine. <laughs> I caught a little bit of con crud. It, yeah? It, just, a, just like the tail end of one. I did not get very good sleep during this con, so this could be any number of things, but I think it's con crud, just a little. Yeah, I feel like traveling eight hours, going to a con for three days, and then traveling another eight hours, and then being surrounded by children without just a break. The grossest children. I can see how that could wear on one's body. Yeah. Since we got back from Breakout Con, our yeah. first Breakout Con. Woo! And that means that this episode is going to be about a month old probably by the time we release it maybe uh because we're in the middle of i think a, a pretty significant arc in the Sagranza campaign and we didn't want to break it up so we're going to come to you a little bit late but we're making sure to record it early while the con is still fresh in our minds because there is a lot of inf- there really is a lot of information, and I know the longer that I wait, the more I'm going to forget, and then it becomes a whole deal, and then it's just easier to do it this way, y'all. I have already. I'll be honest with you. I have already forgotten the con. It was two <laughs> days ago. I have already forgotten my experiences. These two days at work have been insane. I think the kids knew that I did not relax over the weekend, and so they just have been going a little hard. Yeah, there's also the chance that we will get deathly ill by the end of this week and the con crowd will catch up to both of us and yes. then we will have to record we'll have to release this episode much earlier yes. than expected. <laughs> really, there's a whole world of possibilities against us, so we might as well just get this. Yeah, out probably of the way. know this is coming out next week. Yeah. So Diana. Zachary. How was your first time in Toronto? I loved it. Yeah. It was so cool. I don't generally like cities. I have found cities that I enjoy, but mm-hmm. I don't generally like them. And I really enjoyed Toronto. It was my first time leaving for Canada. It was my first time in Canada. And it was my first time in Toronto. And I loved it. It was awesome. I may have liked it so much because we had such an awesome host show us around. Mm -hmm. um, Who was very, very cool. So, yes. A special thank you to friends of our lives and of the show, Steve and Cameron. Who, Cameron lives in Toronto. He is a native Torontoan. I don't know well, if that's not, actually the demonym. He's also not a native Torontoan. He chose Toronto. It chose him really in his heart um, <laughs> at some point in his adult life. And he lives there now and he loves it there. And it was really cool because we got to see the city that he loves so much. Yeah. And Cameron showed us around. And it was great because uh, although I went to Toronto, I went as a wee lad and didn't really take in much about the city. So it was good to get another experience of the city and and see it. Uh, We got poutine while we were there. It was weird. But, I mean, it was good, but it was weird. It was delicious. I got rotisserie chicken and fried onion poutine. And I got just normal poutine, because if you're going to experience something, you should experience it in the original. That's my personal opinion. And... We had a long discussion about how poutine is not American and how it should be. It, is, it should be an American dish. It is the most American, non-American dish. It really is. I think that there is. Don't understand how it's not. I, I don't know how it is not more. It's just potato, cheese, and sauce. That's it. And I don't understand how it's... it's It blew my mind. But it was delicious. If you get the chance to have Canadian poutine, have Canadian poutine. We also went on the path. Ah, so Torontoan. <laughs> 
We were in an underground system of lives and shops and weird things. It was fun. Yeah, Toronto has this great system called the Path that we discovered, or rather, we were shown. Like, well, it's not a secret. Like, it's like a well-known thing in the city. <laughs> well, you know, if you don't live there, maybe you don't. So That's true. it was like uh, the Sheraton, which is the hotel that Breakout Con was held at, connects right to this amazing underground network that connects buildings like all across Toronto underground uh, that you can reach wherever you need to go. Uh, and it's lined with all these wonderful fancy shops and we got delicious pizza there. And it was a very wonderful experience. We yeah. didn't do too much touristy stuff other than walking around and kind of like seeing stuff. We didn't pay to go up the CN Tower, but... No, but we did do a really cool... We did a cool walking tour. We saw... We did the Skywalk, um, which is just the path, but up... And we did, <laughs> and we, you know, we walked the path and we walked around the city on probably the coldest, wettest day that we were there, but it was awesome. We, we saw the, we saw the pencil box. We, yes, we saw the Ontario College of Art and Design. Yes. Which has a pencil box. It definitely has, it definitely has something to it. It has a sculpture. It calls the pencil box. Some people definitely made some decisions when they designed that school. <laughs> You're not wrong. There was a lot of that. I think that was really the tour that we went on. Mm. It was a fun tour to go on. So now that we have... uh, Oh, hmm? listen. We didn't talk about the most important thing that we did while we were in Toronto. Okay. Beaver tail. Well, yeah, that's why I was going to say that. And then we got distracted. Oh, I'm sorry. Beaver tail. I had cinnamon sugar beaver tail. But really, it's just fried dough. And it was baller. Have some beaver tail. It's baller yes we had poutine and beaver tail beaver tail is basically just an elephant ear but a little thinner and a little crispier um it's also like the portuguese dessert filoge or just a flat funnel cake if you hadn't heard it it's not but funnel cake is like stringy well that's why i said flat that's why i said uh, it's like a flat but funnel cake is flat we're both making the same face at each other. It's you guys, you're missing out on this visual experience. So here. now that we have trapped you for five minutes to <laughs> hear our uh, our vacation, our audio vacation slideshow, <laughs> we will actually talk about the con. So Breakout Con is four years old in 2019. This is the fourth year it's run. And this is the second year I was aware of its existence. I first heard about it last year. I believe I heard Alex Roberts talk about it in a panel at PAX Unplugged. And before that, I'd found it, just kind of heard about it. The website is very upfront about its dedication to inclusion and equity and being a very uh, forward-thinking convention. It came up on our list of like, okay, these are maybe the ones we want to go to. We figured it was only a little bit further travel than PAX East. We had missed badges for PAX East and wanted a different experience anyway diana how do you diana how do you feel about pax east diana so i don't want to use too strong of a language and i want to preface everything that i am about to say with i get claustrophobic in large crowds i don't like large crowds i get very anxious and they make me angry i get very angry so pax east is hell on earth for me it is very large, and I am only interested in just a small, small portion of it. And even then, my interest is completely wiped away with the hordes of people that are there in a city that you just can't really walk away from, from the convention city. It is literally my hell on earth. It I is. like I like Boston, and there's nothing wrong with PAX. There's really nothing wrong with PAX. <laughs> 
But I, this is, again, all prefaced mm-hmm. with I get claustrophobic in large crowds of people. I am in hell every time I go to PAX East. It is awful. I get very aggressive, and then we get into fights. <laughs> and it is just better for me to not go. If you want Dinah's more perhaps realistic take on PAX East, you can listen to our PAX East retrospective. We did do that. Dinah's not entirely lying or joking or... Uh, I never said I was. ...acting hyperbolic. Nope. In that it is... It, PAX East is very big. Yeah. It's very big. There's a lot, a lot of people, and there's a lot of stuff. There's just a lot going on. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it's great, and it's a wonderful opportunity, especially if you're, like, from the Boston area. It's a wonderful op- opportunity to tap in on your nerd, your nerd geek shit, but... It's a lot. So we thought that we'd go to a smaller con. Yes. Uh, Gen Con was also kind of in the running, but there were some, uh, aside from travel and the size of the con, there were some recent things that made me kind of a little less interested in going to Gen Con. So we decided to try out Breakout Con. We'd never been to Toronto together and Diana had never been at all. So we thought we would make an experience of it. Uh, and we also knew that Breakout was significantly smaller. Right. And we, having never been to another tabletop convention other than PAX, uh, we thought it would be worth the experience of going to a smaller con. And Breakout is much, much smaller. I don't think we can paint a picture. I. How do I want to say this? I, much, much smaller, I feel like, doesn't quite bring home how much smaller this con is to PAX Unplugged. And that's, it's not a negative or a positive. It is a neutral statement that I am making. It is significantly smaller. It is, yes, it is. Having never been to any other cons, right. pa- PAX was my first con ever. I've been to, I think, two other, like, I went to one gaming con that was fairly small and one anime con that was quite small. Breakout was uh, on that level. Uh, I do not know the numbers of attendees. I will say that the board game hall was constantly full up with people. Yes, yes. Uh, and there was plenty to do uh, between board gaming, uh, pickup games, scheduled role-playing games, panels, war gaming events, mm-hmm. and painting. There was plenty to do. Absolutely. The size of it felt so much more manageable to mm-hmm. me in a way that really helped me understand... I think the scale of these different conventions and especially the scale of packs, mm-hmm. like I felt like I got not everything I wanted out of breakout, not everything I could have wanted out of breakout, but a lot. Right. Yeah. W- w- with packs, I always feel like I'm missing a ton of stuff right. with this. I was like, I was able to completely get my money's worth and not kill myself tr- f- having to feel like I needed to do that. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Like, like I felt relaxed and the the levels of stress with this con was so much less than any other con i've gone to and granted i have not gone to a ton but um i was never like crazy stressed out like oh my god what am i gonna do i was able to plan very cleanly very clearly uh i don't know how other cons do their uh are their um game signups but way ahead of time we were able to sign up for our games it was very manageable. It was very clean. It felt not relaxed, but like holistic. Literally the only word going through my brain is manageable. It was just so much more manageable. It made like the experience overall was more manageable. The gameplay was more manageable. My time was more manageable. My anxiety was more manageable. Like the whole experience was more manageable. 
And I, I, I'm sure there's another word out there, but that's the only one that's coming to my mind. I think if you are the kind of person who needs a surplus of options, if you need like the amount that PAX East or Unplugged or GenCon offers, I think you're going to maybe feel unfulfilled by Breakout. Right. But for our speed, this was perfect, uh, I, I would say. Yeah. And, and I think probably because it was our first time we played it safe mm-hmm. and I probably could have pushed myself a little bit harder and gone to to uh, panels I didn't go to a single panel uh, tried to I don't know meet strangers a little bit more and do stuff with strangers uh, maybe push myself out of my comfort zone uh, but we played it pretty safe and we had a very yeah manageable con it was good and yeah I didn't go to any panels either but um, we had some friends who joined us and they went to panels and um the kind of panels that they went to, even though the topics weren't exactly what they were super interested in, because when you go to a smaller co- a convention, you're not going to have the sort of array of panels to choose from that you might at something like PAX East or PAX Unplugged. But so even though the topics weren't exactly what they were looking for, they were able to get bits and pieces and strategies and tips out of the panels that they did go to. So it was all really useful and it was all really interesting. I love panels personally. I'm a big panel person. Um, so I kind of wish I'd spent a little bit more time at the panels. I was very excited to be in Toronto. End of that sentence. Full stop there. Um, um, so everything that I did at the con was extra, even though the whole point of going to Toronto <laughs> was the con. Mm-hmm. Honestly, doing anything other than just seeing Toronto was extra and fun. So I didn't put too much pressure on myself to schedule anything. And that was fine. I was able to still get a full con experience without putting a lot of pressure on myself. And that was really, really refreshing. We basically spent our entire time at the con playing in the uh, RPG signups. And we got into some amazing games and we did some amazing stuff and, and played some games that we'd never played before. The first game we played on Friday morning was Hearts of Wulin by Lao Francis and Agatha Chang. Hearts of Wulin is a game that I've been dying to play and I've talked about it on the podcast a few times. But uh, it started development by Lau Francis, who is a member of The Gauntlet, and The Gauntlet has been talking about it a lot. You can listen to an actual play of it in The Gauntlet's pocket-sized play, actual play podcast stream. It is this wonderful game of wuxia melodrama, and we were lucky enough to play it with one of the creators, Agatha Chang, as our GM. And she was a wonderful GM did an amazing job of introducing us to the game and leading us through the game and making sure that we were familiar with the setting and the tropes of wuxia and just everything going into it. Yeah, absolutely. This is right up my alley, especially since I just watched Ashes of Love. It was so good, guys. I know I keep talking about it, but like it was such a good a thousand years of my life. You should absolutely check it out. But anyway, I was really excited to play Hearts of Wulin and... When I found out that RGM was going to be one of the creators, I got even more excited. And so going into this game, I tried really hard not to have any expectations. uh, But I definitely kept drawing my imagination and my plays and my moves uh, back to my experiences with Ashes of Love. And to be honest, it's because I don't have very much wuxia experience. Ashes of Love isn't a wuxia. It's a different thing that you know the name of that I don't know the name of. Well, it's Shinsha, which is a subset of wuxia. Right. It's it's basically wuxia with more fantasy elements. Right. Yes. Like, I've never seen the dragon one that everybody saw in the 90s slash early Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. 
everybody saw that movie and they kept using that as a reference point for this and I've never seen it. But I have seen Ashes of Love. And so going into this with that experience was super helpful, one. And two, really helped me like hype up my play. I was just way more interested in it. Arguably, you are more prepared because I've only seen a handful of wuxia films. Mm -hmm. And while you know, the films are part of the genre. The game is designed much more around Wuxia television and novels. Uh, If you are unfamiliar, we've defined it on the show before, but not in this episode. Wuxia is a genre of Chinese fiction that is sort of chivalric fantasy, knightly fantasy, uh, about interpersonal drama with... uh, Kung Fu. Kung Fu. And it's the sort of magic over the top Kung Fu that you see in films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or uh, House of Flying Daggers, where uh, people are able to use their chi to do supernatural things. But run up the side of a building, like the whole building. You can't run up a whole building. Yes. But you could do it in a wuxia film. But even then, the supernatural elements aren't like they're not super high. There's not like spirits and explicit magic it's just people who are masters of their body are able to do things with their body that normal people can't do right and so i would say our game was very low fantasy yes uh other than a couple fight scenes where things got kind of like intense it was a very low sort of almost like a kung fu i mean like a kung fu movie right except that we didn't have very much kung fu in our game Ours was way more about the interpersonal drama than it was about the kung fu. Well, and that's another staple of wuxia, right? A a wuxia film is not a kung fu movie, right? Because a kung fu movie is an action movie with just tons of action, tons of fighting. A wuxia movie is actually about character development and characters being entangled and having that drama, right? It's very soap opera-esque. It just happens to have these, these conflicts. I loved this game. Yeah. I really enjoyed it as well. I I love this game. I cannot wait to bring this game home to my home group. It is just so cool. You have uh, five elemental chi as your stats, and it's powered by the apocalypse. And instead of rolling for your most appropriate like act uh, with you know, strength gonna... or constitution yeah. or something, right. you are rolling with your emotional state as how you're approaching the problem. So each element is tied to certain emotions and emotional states. If you miss on that, you can lose your ability to act with that emotion. Yes. And it is such a cool method of tying the fiction to the mechanics and making sure that you are role-playing what you are doing in an in, in introspective way rather than just an extroverted way. That it just, it feels so cool. It, it makes you describe things in very emotional, internal ways that I just loved, I thought was so cool. Yeah. Um, So a really big part of this game is the relationships that you have, the entanglements that you have with other people. And at the start of the game, during character creation, you have to pick two entanglements with two players, at least, at the table. Each entanglement must include a player at the table. It can include a player and and an NPC, or it can include two players, but it must include at least one player. So... Before the game even starts, you've got a complicated relationship with at least two people, and they do not have to have the same complication that you do with them. So for you, Zach, I had a complication where I'm, I was in love with you, but you were engaged to someone else, and you hated me. I did. Uh, I, my character belonged to a destroyed clan, 
And I suspected Diana's character of evil uh, in that I thought that they had orchestrated the destruction of my clan for their clan's profit. But Diana's character's uh, teacher, I respected too much in order to, to challenge Diana. And like, I didn't want to make Diana's teacher lose face. Right. I also was engaged to the person who was uh, aiding and abetting the person who really destroyed my clan. Yep. So right off the bat, you're you're creating this great knot of character interaction uh, where everybody is fighting for their own desires and their own needs, and those are in direct conflict with someone else's. Right. You're generating NPCs to populate the world, and everybody is finding ways to tie things together and, and make things make sense. Essentially, you're creating like a little neighborhood, and nothing really exists outside of this neighborhood except for these people and these the interactions that they're having and it just makes it so beautifully soap opera-y like this is my jam this is where i live these are my games yeah <laughs> this is what i love so this this game really like hit a sweet spot for me in such a like wonderful way one of my favorite scenes that was that i was involved in in the game was uh i spotted a an assassin from the clan that uh destroyed my clan and i went to go investigate or i wanted to go investigate and my fiance tried to stop me and at first they tried to stop me by like trying to distract me by like talking about our wedding and i refused to budge and i had to burn a chi to do it i had to like actually i think i had to burn a relationship to do it and so i like kind of wounded myself to be like no no i am dead set on this and when they realized I wasn't going to budge, uh, they drew out their their daggers uh, and charged me from behind. And at the start of the game, during character creation, one of the important things is you decide on the name of the style of right. your martial arts, and you get to make up whatever you want. And I was playing a I, I was playing the swordsman role, who's like a traveling knight, but instead of a sword, I took a staff, and I named my style Crashing Cedar Style. And I had a duel with my fiance, who was a knife wielding assassin, who I think mm-hmm. uses used uh, shadow fist style. I do not remember. Again, I don't remember the con. Two days of work have happened. <laughs> I don't remember. And we just had this amazing fight. In the way that conflict is is resolved, uh, you kind of like decide who's going to lose, and then you narrate it based on what's going to be most fictionally interesting. It was just so cool. It was just such a cool and refreshing setting and everybody playing was was on point and it I can't wait to have this game. Yeah. I will say I have two favorite things that I'm going to discuss very briefly. First is uh my style was Thousand Needles and my weapon was hair apparatus. It's just things I kept in my hair that were razor sharp and I was going to shoot at you. And I did in a really cool kung fu style. And it was awesome. And I loved it. And it was amazing. The other thing that I really like is I can't remember the name of the move because I don't have the move sheets in front of me. But on one of the moves, it's basically it's a study. I think it's the study move. Yeah. You it's discern realities. Basically, Um, you get to kind of look around you or you get to state something about the world that you live in. So you're stating a truth. That's either true for your specific character in this specific moment, like, oh, and there's a sinkhole under them. Or you're stating a truth about the world that they live in, like, oh, that emperor is an imposter. Like, I just thought that that, and I don't even think that we used it very much. We used Mm -hmm. it a couple times, but we didn't use it very much. I just thought that that option for that move was really cool and was a really neat way of giving the players a little... I don't want to say say, like autonomy in the storytelling. And I thought it was really cool. 
this game feels to me like a cool amalgamation of my favorite parts of other apocalypse engined games that have come out it's like a kind of it's like a cool amalgamation of them and i i really enjoy it yeah i can't speak its praises highly enough right. that is uh hearts of Wulin. it's coming out by lowell francis who you can find on twitter at E-D-I-G-E-23, that's Edge 23 and Agatha Cheng, who you can find uh, is part of the Asians Represent podcast on the OneShot Network. Uh, you can find them at A-Z-N-S Represent. That's a stylized Asians Represent. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. That night, we didn't play this at the con, but we went to Cameron's house and with Cameron and Steve, we played Honey Heist by Grant Howitt. That uh, Honey Heist is the only indie RPG ever made, in case you didn't know. (laughs) And it is wonderful. Y'all, it was so good. By chance, by chance, and I don't know how many of you are going to understand the importance of this, but by chance, I was a panda and it was so good. And because I was a panda and the only other game I'd played that day was Hearts of Wulin, um, in Hearts of Wulin, my character's name was Lili. So, and because I was a panda, I kept the name Lili and then it became a thing. And all I was, was Lily and Lili for the rest of the game con. Yeah, the rest of the con, you yeah. were Lily, Lillian. I was Lili, Lili, Lily, Lillian. And it was amazing. It was so good. Um, but y'all, I got to be a panda and I, I wore a trilby and I was a hacker and it was amazing. It, it was so good. It was a very good game of Honey Heist. Uh, that was my second or third time playing it. I think that was your first it time. It was my right? very first time. And I still want to play it drunk for the pod. Maybe. We'll, it, we'll see. It was so good, y'all. It was so good. I, I don't think there's much for us to say about no. Honey Heist. It is a kind of classic at this point. One page RPG by Grant Howitt. You play criminal bears who are uh, trying to rob Honeycon. And yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. It's very silly. Anytime you want to do something, you roll one die. And if it is lower than either your bear stat or your criminal stat, depending on what you're trying to do, you succeed. And it's fun and silly and always so dumb. Yeah, it's so good, though. Like for our game, we couldn't talk to humans. So the entire table at one point was growling at these NPCs and just being like, because that's how bears talk. And it was so good. Yeah. It was so good. The way I run Honey Heist, which is the way I think it is personally best run, is that if you do the right things, humans might not realize you are a real bear. But once they realize you are a real bear, they realize you're a real bear. And that is like, it is otherwise set in the real world yeah um which i think is i think always makes for a lot of very fun chaos and that is honey heist by grant howitt uh you can find grant howitt at gs howitt with two t's so saturday was when we played the majority of our games we played three different games on saturday starting with beam saber uh beam saber is a game by austin ramsey uh it is a forged in the dark game about uh, mech combat and I don't know how much I've talked about it on heart points I probably have but I love mechs I love mechs so much they make me so happy the way I feel about pandas I think is how he feels about mechs so I was super excited to play this game this was another game that we got to play run by the creator which I think is another amazing thing about uh, breakout is yeah. how many people are coming to play test their games and to share their games with people 
Austin ran this game for us. And Dinah, what did you think? So I'm not big into mechs. Mechs are not a thing that I find particularly interesting. I haven't seen very many. I don't consume very much media with mechs in it. I have consumed media with mechs in it, just not very much. And I really liked this game. I really liked the... the Because we've played Forged in the Dark. We've played Forged in the Dark games. And so this was a really interesting take on those games um, and a way to play those games. I really liked that my mech had stats. I really liked that my character had separate stats and that I could take care of those things separately because sometimes you don't always get to take care of those things separately. I really liked the individuality that could go into my own character plus my own mech. I mean, around the table we had... I think there were five players, mm-hmm. and we had five completely different style of mechs, completely different styles. None of them went together. And I thought that, I just thought it made for a really interesting play. It was really interesting to do. It was fun to create. It was fun to play. Yeah, I agree. I've wanted a good mech game, I think, since I was in undergrad, and the only games that I could find were uh, PH Lee's Bliss Stage and the old, it was a fan-made Evangelion game. And... Can I ask a stupid question? Yes. Is it Evangelion and not Evangelion? Yes, it is Evangelion. Well, that was dumb. I say it the wrong way in my head. I've been saying it the wrong way in my head for years. I think I think you're fine. I'm pretty sure it's a made-up word. <laughs> I mean, they're <laughs> to, all made up, but... To be fair, I knew, an, I knew a girl whose name was very similar to that. She was Greek, and you pronounced the G as, like, J. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's ja in an evangelist in all words that uh, use that base word. Evangelion is a made-up word. Okay, continue talking about your game. So, Beam Saber, what Beam Saber does that I think games, tabletop games have struggled with is married your character with your uh, mech in a way that feels very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Your mech does not have terribly many mechanics, and in fact, you can make whatever kind of mech you want and make right. it viable. There's no crunchiness to whether or not your mech can fly or it's ground-laden, right. which I think is also probably speaks to Forge in the Dark as a system. The main basis for your mech is uh, you have like a special type of load called quirks, and you use your quirks to kind of resist fallout and make bargains and get stuff done. I really enjoyed it. We didn't get to tinker too much with moves, and I wonder, I think my big curiosity is uh, how viable, I think I wonder what campaign play looks like. And I very much want to listen to... I know Austin does a... He said he does a YouTube series of uh, the game, of an actual play. And I would really love to see it. I haven't got a chance to check it out yet. But I very much wonder what long-term play looks like. How How many missions are spent in mechs? How many missions are spent out of mechs? What kind of stuff is there to do in and out of mechs? Because, for instance, I was playing the Envoy, which is very much based around sort of subterfuge and spying. And I really was not sure how many of my moves would be viable outside of the mech. It's not that I only want to play mech stories, but I'm not sure what I would be doing outside of mechs. And if that is dependent on the setting or, or kind of how that all rolls into it. I will say that, like, character creation felt very much like Blades in the Dark. Mm -hmm. So it it felt good in the same way Blades in the Dark feels good. Mech creation felt, I think, even better. Even though it was very simple, 
uh, and very, I think, broad in a lot of ways. The the stuff that you can that you can imagine for your mech is so powerful and cool that I thought it worked really well. I really liked the, and I know I, I know I mentioned it before, but I I think it's worth mentioning again. I really liked how with that simplicity and how and in creating your mech, you really could create any kind of mech you wanted. I created a mech that looked like a horse and named it Pegasus because it had wings and anti-gravs. Like, legit, I made mine look like a horse, and then we had one that looked like a spider, and yours was not any of those things. And- yeah, we had one that was like a very, uh, like a Tachikoma-style uh, like tank, spider tank, and then mine was this weird sort of it wasn't evangelion but it it, i guess it was more like a zoid-esque in that it had like its own limited sentience and it was very it was humanoid and was like very like had a had a mind of its own so yeah there's a lot of stuff that you can do with the game that makes it very versatile there was another really interesting thing about this game that differentiated it from some other games that we've played in in its connections and the way that they used connections for this game, at the start of the game, you had to write down a belief that you had for all the other players at your table, essentially. And mm-hmm. if you were going to help that person, you would help them with how many... You could help them for as many beliefs as you had about them, but it would cost you that many stress. And and if you know anything about these types of games, stress is kind of the way you do things, but you have to be really careful. You have to manage it very well. And so if I had one belief about Zachary, then I would be able to help him for one, but it would cost me one stress. But if I had two beliefs about him, I could help him for two, but it would cost me two stress. Because the more I know about somebody, the more stressful it is to help them in dangerous situations, which I thought was a very, very interesting thing that we don't, I mean, we didn't get to explore it in a one shot. I think it would be really interesting to explore it in campaign play and long play. Yeah. I also love the stress relief mechanic in Beam Saber. In Blades in the Dark, you uh, relieve stress by engaging in a vice. And it's very simple. You kind of just describe how you're engaging in your vice. You roll a die. Uh, if you go over, then you overindulge in your vice. And it, it's kind of simple. It's kind of, it, it's okay. In Beam Saber, you relieve your stress by engaging with another member of your squad. Yeah. You have to set up a scene with another member of your squad and do something with them to try to get to know them better. Not necessarily more positively, just knowing them better. And uh, if you go over, then that attempt backfires in some way. And I think that is such a more interesting and engaging way to do downtime and to do stress relief it gets everybody at the table involved it forces everybody to paint these really uh vivid interesting scenes i just that i think is the thing that i took away most i really think beam saber could be the mech game for me it very much depends on how versatile the setting is in my understanding of fortune the dark games is that they are very dependent on the setting and that Uh, messing with the setting kind of messes with all the fiddly bits but if i could build my own setting and play it with beam saber which i get the sense i could do i think i would love this game yeah i agree i think it'd be cool to do this in space and it'd be cool to do it underground and it'd be cool to do it in the past or in the future in an alternate universe like well i just mean like specific styles of mechs and like like specific details of the war that's going on right which we didn't get too much into in our uh game no yeah that is beam saber did you want to talk about it anymore i'll be honest with you i really liked that i could make a mech with wings and call it pegasus and then later on it grew a horn 
through play. It didn't like grow a horn, but like a, a horn. We decided thing. it had a horn yeah. because it had a laser cannon. Yeah, in its eyes because my nickname was Green Eyes. And so it had green eyes that were lasers. It was good. It was cool. And I got to play around with that in a serious way, but also a fun way, which is how I like to play my games. Lean more towards the fun, <laughs> less towards the serious. Uh, serious can be fun. I find serious very fun. I know you find serious very fun. I'm not saying I don't find serious very fun. I just like Pegasus as a mech. <laughs> I liked your Pegasus mech. It was good. Yeah, I did a good job with it. I'm proud of my Pegasus mech. So that is Beam Saber by Austin Ramsey. You can find Austin Ramsey at not a nin n-o-t-a-n-i-n-n so our next game after that was uh, a game that we put ourselves on the wait list for uh, and were lucky enough to get in uh, and that was james diamato's captain my captain which is a uh, hack or reskin or new game based on alex roberts for the queen which is a game that I've been keeping my eye on because it looks gorgeous, but haven't had a chance to play yet. And the way that For the Queen and Oh Captain, My Captain or Captain, My Captain works is that you are playing... In both games, you're playing people who are in service of someone else. And in Captain, My Captain, you are playing pirates who are mates of the most legendary pirate in all the land. And his stories of their greatness have been told far and wide. And... They are legendary and uh, powerful, but lately your lately your wins have been fewer and far between, and things are getting desperate. And you have one last the, the captain comes up with one last sort of job, and he's chosen you for it, or they've chosen you for it. I'm sorry. You're you're chosen because you're the most loyal to the captain, and the captain is you know because of the far and few between wins, the captain is rightly worried of a coup and so you go on this mission you've been chosen by the captain to go on this mission and the game that you play is you and your select few loyal compatriots and your captain on like a small dinghy heading out for your mission and the way that you play the game is you get a card and you read the prompt on the card and you answer the prompt and all of the prompts are about your relationship with the captain and you build the story and you build the captain as you answer these prompts as a table. So you don't know what kind of captain you have until you start answering these questions. You discuss none of it beforehand. So you could have you could have anything. We played it twice. We had enough time to play it twice. And the first time we played it, we had a really ruthless, almost baddie captain. And the second time we had this wonderfully supportive awesome captain who was super cool and they were very different and they would have hated each other if they saw each other in real life but the prompts didn't change the prompts were still a part of the game our first game we had a captain in a sort of golden age of sail setting who traditional pirate uh who was maybe utilizing black magic in order to win his fame and in the second we had this captain in a sci-fi space setting who uh she had defied a morally ambiguous military order and uh, defected against the military to become a pirate so we had these vastly different games all derived around the same format which is just yeah you turn over the card it has a prompt about your relationship with the captain you answer it on your own and then everyone else around the table has a chance to ask you a question to clarify that relationship so 
you can go whole rounds without having anything to find about certain things. I think we went, uh, the first game we went three rounds before like deciding that the captain was a man. Right. In the second game, we went at least two rounds before deciding that it was set in space. So it's, it's very much like an emergent play style, uh, emergent narrative style game where you're discovering what's, what's happening behind the scenes as you play. Right. I loved playing it. The great thing about playing with creators is that you get to tell them exactly what you think about their game and they, I found, take that in stride and want to make their game better. So this is your opportunity to give them your feedback. And so we gave really good feedback. Feedback, And one of the things that I said is, I think this would be a really great car game. I think this would be a really great journey game. Um, someone just has to read for the driver, but they get to answer their own questions. You need nothing else. All you need is this deck of cards and your imagination. I also think this would be a great game for people who are new to improvising and role-playing games because you're answering a question. It feels a little bit more concrete. It feels a little bit less like you're improvising and a little bit more like you're, you know, just answering a question. And so I think it eases you into that improvisation, um, role-playing sort of mindset in a really non-threatening way. I really enjoyed this game. It seemed, based on your reaction, it seemed like the game you enjoyed the most of the con. I would agree. I would agree. It is absolutely like my speed of game. I really liked the fluidity of it and how open it could be. But the thing, and I talk about it in Farrier's Bellows. I know this is a different podcast. But the thing that really is important to me is accessibility in gaming. And I don't necessarily mean like, I don't necessarily mean accessibility the same way that everybody else does. As someone who has been playing role-playing games for almost as long as Zach has, but still feels kind of incompetent at them. It is it is really important to me that games are inclusive to people who are hesitant about gaming. It is really important to me that games help you build those skills that you might not feel like you have, which is absolutely the camp I'm in. I have those skills. I know I'm a good player, but there are times where I'm playing a game and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing this poorly. This sucks. I know I'm good at it. I've been doing it for a long time, y'all. But having games that can slowly build those skills and give people the confidence to say, like, yeah, I can improvise. Yeah, I can do Dungeon World. Yeah, I can do this. Like, I've got these skills because I've played Oh, Captain, My Captain or because I've played whatever, this other really crunchy game. So I know I know the rules. Like, playing games to build those skills is really, really important to me. So finding those games is just like the jackpot. And this is one of those games. I I agree. Um, I would be hesitant to call that accessibility because I think accessibility specifically refers to to forms of equity. But uh, I think scaffolding is, is something that uh, we talk about at work is scaffolding to, to give you the support that you need to to engage with something in a way that makes you feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. And that's what this game does. It right. gives you the scaffolding in those prompts and the freedom to explore those prompts in a way that brings out the skills that you innately have. Right. Absolutely. Right. I We told two really great stories. I think with great groups, this is going to be a hit for people. Um, it is solidified for me that I that we have to get for the queen as right. soon as it comes out. And I am definitely going to keep an eye on uh, Captain My Captain because, uh, I, A, I love the pirate flavor of it. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of cool stuff that can be done with that. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was it was wonderful. James ran it for us. 
uh, but stepped back, uh, didn't like GM because it is a GMless game. Uh, just kind of uh, asked us questions and helped us move through it and helped us navigate it in a really wonderful way. And our the players in that game were phenomenal. All the play- players, everybody we played with all weekend was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that is, just to go to Breakout more broadly, is is something that I felt very much about this con, is that it felt like a very safe space. It felt like it felt like a very inclusive space space it didn't feel like they were just talking the talk on the website right they were making sure that the people that this appealed to and the people that were welcome at this con felt safe and felt welcomed i i thought and i don't know what maybe other things were happening but i I, it felt very safe and welcoming to me i will say something that i encountered at this con that i paid attention to that i don't know that i've noticed at other cons is every single game we played we were asked to share our own personal pronouns as well as our characters' pronouns. And that's not something that I have seen at other cons. It was just, what's your name? What's your pronoun? Tell me about your character. What's their pronoun? What's their look? Like, it just was part of the introduction. And it was really refreshing, I will say. It was really, really refreshing. Yeah, everyone was very cool. Everyone bought into uh, the the making sure that the table felt like a safe place. Right. Uh, in my limited experience. Uh, But going back to Captain My Captain, just wonderful game that I I can't wait for it to come out. I can't wait. I I don't know how much more uh, playtesting James is is going to feel he needs to, to really polish this up. I didn't feel like it needed much. I mean, every card we read was was very um evocative and very interesting to me so i don't know how much more we had discussed some stuff at the table and i don't want to share too much because i'm not sure what will stay and what won't what will change but we had discussed some stuff so i think if he's going in the direction he said he wanted to go in there might be some changes um to the final product but i i really thought it was pretty good as it was after talking about it um with the table and with him we kind of were like oh i well i can't say we i was kind of like okay i can see those changes you might want to make them but honestly if he put it out now i i wouldn't be disappointed in it it was really good yeah i I cannot wait to have that and for the queen on our shelf yeah and there's a pretty good chance uh alex roberts has told me on twitter that for the queen plays really well to players so i'm fine with it yeah let's make a murderous queen so there, uh, that again, it was Captain My Captain by James D'Amato. Uh, James D'Amato also of the famous One-Shot RPG Network, as well as author of the Ultimate RPG Backstory Guide. You can find James D'Amato at One-Shot RPG on Twitter. You can find Alex Roberts, the designer of For the Queen, the game that Captain My Captain is based off of, on Twitter at Muscular Pikachu. And finally, that night, we played The Ward. Woo! Diane, do you want to talk a little bit about The Ward? Um, I'll share a little something. It is a medical drama, and you get to play doctors or nurses or interns or specialists or residents, and you are all essentially in Grey's Anatomy, but not really. Like, less dramatic than Grey's Anatomy, but just as dramatic as Grey's Anatomy. I'll be more clear. Less bombs than than Grey's Anatomy, but just as much, like, interpersonal conflict. And it was super fun. I had a ton of fun with it. Zach and I both played as specialists. And then we had two other players at our table. 
one was a resident and one was a nurse. And so obviously the two specialists were just pretty and did nothing and were useless. And the nurse and the uh, resident did all the work. This is, if you know anything about hospitals, this is apparently quite accurate. <laughs> that, that was my favorite part of the game is that we were the like so i was the arrogant specialist and diana was the genius specialist and we were both just like these beautiful demanding really hard-hitting angry people uh who were just running around the hospital like asserting our dominance but not actually like i was supposed to be a genius surgeon and i constantly failed yeah um, i was constantly butchering people meanwhile the nurse was and they were the optimistic nurse yep. was just like solving all of my problems yep. and fixing everything and I, the newbie resident was yep. like constantly like calming everybody down and helping actually get stuff done and so the 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 resident was an emergency room like that was her like you get to pick a specialty you get to pick multiple specialties but her specialty was the emergency room the nurse was diagnostics i was neurology and uh zach i think you were surgery mm-hmm. and just so many times when surgery or neurology would have been way more helpful the emergency resident like went in there and saved a life and <laughs> the diagnostic nurse actually told us what was going on it was amazing it yeah. was so good sorry before we go any further i do want to say that the ward is being published by magpie press it's currently in an ashcan edition and it is written by kevin petker uh you might recognize that name because we talked during our pax east retrospective about playing kevin's game that currently in development called princess world back then we had the option of playing the ward or princess world and we ended up going with princess world and now i'm very excited that we got to play both uh because the ward is the ward is excellent our game had a wonderful mix of comedy and drama in it in a way that i think you can really get a lot out of i think this game so i signed up for this game thinking it was going to be our comedy game for the yeah, I definitely thought it was going to be our comedy game. Um, and it ended up being very dramatic. Uh, and there were, it, it was funny. There was a lot of funny moments, but there were some very intense, serious moments of bleed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that I think, as long as your GM is handling it properly, uh, could be very rewarding. Like, I think this is a game that you could play quite seriously and, and get a lot out of. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. I also think you could play this game a little bit sillier and still get a lot out of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think the range for this game is wonderful. I think, like, because we had those silly moments and because we had those serious moments, I feel like we got a pretty good idea of the range of this. And I would enjoy this if we played it over the top and ridiculous. I would also enjoy it it if we played it like a a mockumentary. Like, I just think it, it, it allowed for a lot of experimentation, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I would really like to play this game again. I don't know if it's a must-have for me, since um, it's just not a genre that I'm very engaged in or or know a lot about. But I think for anyone for whom that is like a genre that they're really interested in, this would be a must-have. I would love to get it so that I could play with different genres within that genre. I'd love to do a... I mean, I would really love to do a like star trek med bay thing i think that would be a lot of fun right yeah i agree but i even think like doing some fantasy or just plain contemporary would be would be wonderful really interesting really fun lots of cool mechanics to engage with 
I just really enjoyed it. And it was really funny. Yeah. And also surprisingly sad. Yes. When it got sad. So sad. I was like, I was surprised when, when certain things got dark and really hit me. Uh, I was surprised at how hard they hit me. Yeah. And I think you need a good GM to pull that off in a way that feels fulfilling. But I I was surprised at how well this game supported it. Yeah, I agree. I, I know for a fact I couldn't GM this game. I just couldn't. Th- that's another thing for me. I don't think I know enough about the genre yeah. to, to do that. I don't. Medical dramas aren't really my thing. They've never really been my thing. I will watch them occasionally, but they're not really my thing. But I really, I really liked... There's a couple parts of this game, uh, like during character creation, that I really like that I think add a lot of character uh, growth. Depth, I think, is more the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Like you pick an addiction, and it doesn't have to be a physical addiction. You don't have to be addicted to painkillers. Like I was addicted to never slowing down. I think we had our resident was addicted to perfection. I know we talked about some of the sensitivity issues with that, but if you have a good group, then I think that that could add a really interesting element to your to your gameplay and to your character. Another thing that we had to come up with was like family connections. Oh yeah. Uh, which added a really interesting element to our gameplay because like I had an ex who showed up at a really inopportune time and I ruined my relationship with that ex because they showed up at a really inopportune time. And it was just an interesting, it's just an interesting, well, I guess it's not really a mechanic, but like storytelling element that I thought was fun. And I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention about the ward or our game of it? Yes. There's a boning move. The oh. way that you... All good Apocalypse World games have but a not, sex move. But not all of them. No. Not all of them have a sex move, and all of them should. <laughs> and this one is your stress-relieving move. You have two options for relieving stress, and boning is one of them, and it makes me so happy. I was also the only one who took advantage of that. No one should be shocked. No one should be surprised. But it was great. (laughs) I had good revenge sex. Yeah, you went and found the other specialist that you hated. Yeah, we got into a big fight like five minutes earlier. And I was like, I'm mad. Let's bone. (laughs) And he was like, cool, I guess. Let's do it. (laughs) It worked out well. (laughs) Yeah, so that is The Ward by Kevin Petker. That's uh, Kevin Petker at Kevin Petker with a K. And that is a game that's being published by Magpie. So those were the games we played. Uh, I also, I, I just kind of want to talk about my my gets, what I ended up getting because yes. I was super excited by them. Please tell. Uh, I went, I stopped by the, uh, there was a small vendor in the RPG hall selling books. And I was super excited to get, uh, I got a print copy of Ron Edwards' Troll Babe, which made me very, very happy. Oops. I also got three uh, advanced D&D adventures. I got uh, Gary Gygax's Tomb of Horrors, which makes me super happy. The cover is wild and gorgeous. Uh, I also got Gary Gygax's uh, Dungeon Module D1 Descent into the Depths of the Earth, which I also got purely because the art makes me very happy. It's like so <laughs> retro and old school in it. I love it. Uh, I also got a one-on-one advanced D&D uh, book called Wizard's Challenge. It's an adventure for one wizard. What I think might be my holy grail, what makes me so happy, is I got the Tenchi Muyo RPG and resource book. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it's a Tenchi Muyo RPG. You did. You got that. Why is there a Tenchi Muyo RPG? Um, for people like you, I think. It uses the TriStat system, which I've seen used a lot for different like old anime RPGs, including uh, there's even an ad for one that I've seen called a uh, 
the Dominion Tank Police. Oh my god, it has Sailor Moon? <laughs> yes, it does. It has a Sailor Moon on this system. Um, I, I don't know how the TriStat system works. I don't know how any of this works. I don't know what it is. It's almost... Two, it's 100... No, it is 200 pages. It's I, 200 pages of Tenchi Muyo stuff. I will say that when he picked it up, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he told me flat out, this is a display piece. <laughs> it is not a game we will play. It I, is a display piece. I can't... I cannot imagine us ever playing this. Ooh, but it does have rules for Mecha. So maybe this is the Mecha game we'll end up playing. Tenchi Muyo. Or... No. It makes me so happy. So those are my gets. We didn't buy any dice or any board games or anything, but I did get a couple beautiful books that I'm so excited to have now. And that was our breakout experience. Woo, breakout! Oh my god, I'm so tired. This is why we don't record after work anymore. I know. Because I'm exhausted. But you survived and I'm proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. That's it for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, and we really, really hope that you enjoyed this retrospective. We want to thank Zach B., our editor and producer, without whom the show would not get made. If you didn't hear a cat, if you didn't hear a dog, if you didn't hear me yawning, then you can thank Zach B. You definitely heard at least two of those three (laughs) things, but that's not Zach B.'s fault. That's true. Um, That is our setup's fault and our terrible animal's fault. We also want to thank In Love with the Ghost for the use of their song Chilling at Nemo's Place off of the album Healing. You can find In Love with the Ghost at inlovewiththeghost.bandcamp.com. Please make sure to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It means a lot to us and it really helps other people find us. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at HeartPointsPod. Please follow us and join us for discussion about RPGs and podcasts, and make sure to share us with everyone you know, especially your RPG-loving friends. I also want to plug our other podcast, The Farrier's Bellows, on the Gauntlet Network. You can find us on Twitter at Farrier's Bellows, and uh, you can check us out on the gauntlet-rpg.com our other podcast is a review podcast of different story games and if you liked this retrospective about us talking about games i think you would really dig the farrier's bellows thank you to our patrons who allow us to keep this show going if you would like to become a patron of the show find us at patreon.com forward slash heartpointspod You can directly support the show and help us maintain and better it every week while getting cool rewards like access to our patron-only Discord, a monthly campfire pod, and other things. Thank you again for joining us for this retrospective today. We hope as you return back to the real world that you continue to have a very nice day. But like, a very, very nice one.